So we've uh, uh, been in the, the gospel of Mark, the essential, the essential gospel of Mark. And uh, we, we've wrapped Mark around this kind of idea of mystery. In uh, chapter 4, Jesus tells the disciples, the, you have been given to know the mystery, the mysterion of the kingdom of God. And so Mark is wrapped in, in this mystery, and, and some kind of see it, and some don't see it. Some, some get it right away easily, and, and some are, are right there and should be able to see it and can't. And Mark is filled with words like amazing and terrified. Last week, we talked about a Jesus who, who teaches on the lakeshore, who, who takes the gospel outside of the culturally expected places, who takes the gospel beyond the walls of the church to the people who need it. And Jesus tells a story about hearts and soil and seeds. This week, uh, and actually for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be in the kind of this core section of Mark, chapters 4 through 9, and I'm going to bounce around a little bit. Um, uh, one of the things Mark does is uh, uh, he uses doublets of stories. Uh, so he'll, he'll say two stories that are very, very similar to each other, and he'll separate them by a couple of other stories. And so he puts these pairs of stories, kind of positions them around through Scripture. And today we want to look at two of those stories. But in the center section of, of Mark, this, about chapters 4 through 9, uh, this whole section is revolving around two questions, two fundamental questions. And the, and the questions are, who is this man and who do people say that I am? And so this whole, all of these doublets, all of these, these pairs of stories that we'll look at uh, uh, are going to be around these two questions. Who is this man? And the way Jesus, the way Jesus worded it is, who do people say that I am? So today, uh, I want to tell you a couple of storm stories, Jim Cantore stories, if you know what I mean. And all of the Sundays that I have preached here at Aspen Grove, especially this winter, the, the Sundays I dislike the most are the ones where it's rainy and gloomy, as if you need any help falling asleep in church. And today, I have stories about storms and rain and thunder and look outside. <laughs> It's the most beautiful day we've had in a while. Um, to begin these storm stories, I, I, I want to uh, set the stage before I tell these stories. They're going to be super familiar to you. Um, but I, I want to, to help paint a better picture. I want to start by showing you a painting or actually a missing painting. I don't know if you guys saw one of my tweets this week. So this is a museum in Boston. And do you notice something missing? In 1990, one of the greatest art heists in U.S. history occurred at this museum, um, and about 13, or 13 paintings were stolen and uh, still haven't been recovered. It's Boston, so they think it was like the mob or something, so it's, I think it's really super cool. But the museum uh, left uh, the frames hanging in place where those paintings were, and the frame that held a painting uh, is the, our subject for today. I'll go ahead and show you a picture of what the painting looked like. So this is a painting by uh, an artist you may have heard of. His name is Rembrandt. I know it's kind of dark. It's, it's kind of hard to see. But what you see is uh, an image. Uh, Rembrandt's painting is the storm on the Sea of Galilee. 
And in this, uh, uh, Rembrandt vividly portrays Jesus' disciples in the midst of a storm. So let's look at these two storm stories. I'm going to just read them. One comes from Mark chapter 4 and one comes from Mark chapter 6. I'm going to read these two stories back to back, and then we're going to look at them together. So go ahead and throw that first slide up here. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, and although other boats, uh, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. And the disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And the disciples were absolutely, what's the word? And remember our question that's going to frame this whole section. Who is this man? Even the winds and waves obey him, they asked. Familiar story? All right, let's read one more, similar to this. If you fast forward just a, two chapters away in chapter 6, it says immediately after this, this is after Jesus feeds the 5,000, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back in the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida. While he sent the people home, after telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Late that night, the disciples were in the boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on water. He intended to go past them, but when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them at once, don't be afraid, he said, take courage, I am here. Then he climbed into the boat, and the wind stopped, and they were totally, what's the word? For they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. So let's look at these two storm stories together. Uh, the Sea of Galilee is, is about 13 miles long, and at its widest, about 8 miles wide. So that's, that's pretty significant. That's not, that's not nothing. Um, and just due north of the lake is a mountain range, and uh, north of where this mountain range, the way it sits is the Jordan River feeds through this valley, cuts through this valley, uh, and then feeds into the Lake of Galilee. So when a storm comes in the mountains, the canyons and the river valley have a way of funneling that storm all the way down onto the lake. And it can come, uh, these storms can come pretty suddenly with, without, without any warning. And isn't that how it happens, right? It just takes a phone call. Just a normal day. Storms can come up fast when you least expect it. Storms have a way of um, sucking the hope right out of us. Paul will face storms. If you look in Acts 27, the fear of, of storms and being shipwrecked, he'll face it. And Jim Cantori can't accurate, accurately predict 
when or how, but we know with certainty in your life. Maybe it's been a while, but storms will come. Am I right? And I love the response of the disciples in, in both stories. Because in it we see, we see the human response. And it, it doesn't matter what you believe about God, whether you've given your life to Him or indifferent to Him or, or consider God a, a myth, a fantasy. When storms come, all men cry out to God. Have you seen this? Even your atheist friends, even your friends that aren't believers, when storm comes, all of a sudden, God doesn't seem like such a bad idea anymore, Right? Disciples suddenly recognize their deep need for a power greater than the own, their own. And where is Jesus? This is, this is so awesome. The first storm comes, Jesus is on the boat with them, but where is he? He's asleep. This is an awesome scene. And then the other story, he orders the disciples onto the boat. After that first boat experience, they're... The only reason they're getting on that boat is because Jesus orders them, if you can imagine. And where is Jesus this time? He's not even with them. Where is he? He's up on the hillside praying. And I love that, that Mark includes these details because it, here Mark addresses two of our greatest fears, two of man's greatest fears. The first one, if you remember in... Uh, uh, in the first story, Jesus is on the boat, the storm's coming, the waves are breaking over, water's filling the boat, the boat is going to sink, they're all going to drown. Jesus is asleep through this whole thing, and they wake Jesus up, and you remember what they say in verse 38, they say, teacher, don't you care, right? One of our greatest fears is that if, if there is a God, he is somehow unconcerned, Right? He's just this clockmaker God that's not active. He's not involved in our world. He just kind of sets things in motion and then sits back and watch it happen. And you, you, you get that fear expressed through the disciples. Don't you even care? Don't you even care that, that, that we're, we're, we're going to drown? And the second fear is that our God is too far away to do anything about it. Where is he in the second story? On the hillside. So when the storm comes, we're where God, don't you care? Don't you? I don't know how many times in ministry I've heard this. Maybe you felt this way in the midst of the storm. Why, why won't God do something? Doesn't, doesn't he know what is going on? Why doesn't he stop this? Is he even paying attention? Or is he off in some other, you know, care bear cloud heaven land too far away to do anything about it? But in Mark, he answers those fears. And in Mark's account, Jesus hears our cries. He sees our distress and responds. Immediately, he awakens. And using a, a, in, in the first story, uses the exact same words he used to silence the demons. Jesus silences the storm. Now, some of your versions may read these, these very nice, kind of polite words of peace be still. Um. That's not the worst translation ever, but that makes it seem kind of soft. I, I don't think that's exactly what's happening. I, I think Jesus is speaking to, the storm, speaking to the storm the same way he spoke to the demons, with, with shock and an, an authority and unparalleled power. Jesus muzzles the storm. 
Do you get that? He, he grasps the storm by the throat and silences it. And in the second story, even on the hillside far away, this is, a, this is one of those miraculous events. So the disciples are on this lake. We know it's eight miles wide at its widest. They're out somewhere on this lake. Jesus is on a hillside. Maybe a clear day you could see a boat. But what's happening? It's at night. And there's a storm. And yet somehow, even over this impossible distance, Jesus is able to see, it says in verse 48, that says that he saw they were in serious trouble. What's that say to your fear that God is too far away to do anything about it? He's not so far away that he could not see their distress or hear their cries. He's not so far away that he could not act. Jesus has not lost sight of those whom he loves. When he sees their struggles, sees them struggling at the oars, he comes to them. So you know for certainty that storms will come, but you also know with certainty that in the storm you are not alone. And when he comes, he brings with him I love this. Uh, you should all in your Bibles highlight this verse. Um, uh, in, in verse 39, Jesus woke up. He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was, the language of Scripture it says, is a great calm. I don't know what that, that is exactly, but can you picture it in your head? Not only are you not alone, but when Jesus arrives, he brings with him great calm. How many of you could benefit first from some great calm about now? How about our world? Can we benefit from great calm? In Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. Uh, there was that old song I sang when I was a kid, that old hymn that talked about the peace that passes understanding. Have you, have you, been in, have you heard these words before? Have you experienced it maybe in a hospital room or after an accident or even in the loss of a job? Maybe you've seen some health issues. And, and in the midst of a storm, when everything should be upside down, the person experiences this, this, this calm that can't be explained. You know what I'm talking about? Am I the only one? When this great calm comes in the midst of the storm, who must be there? But still, the reaction of the disciples is, is the same. Um, notice in, in neither story are, uh, are the disciples, even in the presence of the great calm of Jesus Christ, in neither story do the disciples experience anything that's like relief. What they do experience is terror. Uh, and it says they're terrified after the storm is calmed. They experience amazement. And maybe the, the biggest thing they experience is confusion. 
I love the second story, especially it's, it's, it's a great story. I know Halloween's a couple weeks away. It's my favorite holiday. I know that's ungodly, but it is. Um, in the second story, uh, Jesus, if you think about it, Jesus approaches the boat in the middle of a dark and stormy night. You know what I'm saying? Like this has a great, this is a great Halloween story. And the disciples see a figure on the surface of the water and they cry out in terror because they think it is a what? A ghost. And they're very confused. In the first story, the disciples are in absolute terror, no longer because of the storm, but because they're in the presence of the one who can calm the storm with a word. And unable to contain their deep confusion. That's what's happening. They, they don't understand what they're in the presence of, and, and it comes out of their mouth. You ever have words that come out of your mouth you just wish you could suck those right back in? And, and out of their terror and amazement and confusion, the disciples blurt out the most unlikely word, the, the most unlikely question that any disciple would ever blurt out. You remember what they say? Who is this man? Now, if anyone in the whole story is supposed to know the answer to that question, they're right there, right? And yet these are the words that come out of their mouth. They've had this experience of, of something they, they're, they're just having a hard time comprehending. Even the wind and the waves obey him? Job has a similar experience. I just want to read this passage to you out of Job because I, I feel like it, it echoes some of the disciples' reaction. Job says, without warning, he moves the mountains, overturning them in his anger. He shakes the earth from its place and its foundations tremble. If he commands it, the sun won't rise and the stars won't shine. He alone has spread out the heavens. And look at these next words, see if it sounds familiar to our stories and marches on the waves of the sea. He made all the stars, the bear and Orion, the Pleiades, and the, the constellations of the southern sky. He does great things, too marvelous to understand. He performs countless miracles. Yet when he comes near, I cannot see him. When he moves by, I do not see him go. If he snatches someone in death, who can stop him? Who dares to ask, what are you doing and God does not restrain his anger. Look at it again. Here's another great sea reference. Even the monsters of the sea are crushed beneath his feet. You see the storm stories and what the disciples experience on the boat. It, it echoes something that, that happens a lot in the Old Testament. It is this, uh, this experience of epiphany, this this experience of theophany. It is, it is the presence of something powerful and supernatural colliding on a collision course like a comet, colliding with the natural world, the supernatural and the natural coming together. And when that happens, there is terror and amazement and confusion. It wasn't a lake for Moses, but do you remember the story of Moses up on the mountain? He is his curiosity draws him to an object. It is a bush consumed by fire, but not being burnt up. You remember this? 
And he steps forward and a voice commands him to remove his sandals because now he's in the presence of something completely supernatural, something different, something, uh, uh, it's supernatural. It's not just unnatural, it's supernatural. It's beyond nature, it's bigger than nature. And the voice commands Moses to remove his sandals in the presence of this. And the, the voice gives Moses this commission, this job, this task, which Moses really doesn't want. Is not interested in at all. But when he finally relents, remember Moses' question to, to the bush. Terror, amazement, and confusion. Remember what Moses asked this bush on fire. He says, who shall I tell them you are? Does that sound like the disciples' question? What is your name? Who are you? Who is this I'm talking to? Who is this man? And the bush replies, do you remember the great words of God, of Yahweh? The bush replies, tell them, I am who I am. There's another great church language. The great I am. Have you heard this language? In the second story, Uh, in, in, I'm sorry, in the, in the first story, the disciples ask, who is this man? And it's a question that Mark seeks to answer. It, it's a question that reverberates within every living thing. And, and we see already that, that Jesus is a storm talker. He is a wave walker. And in verse 1 of the very first chapter of Mark, Mark tells us Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And in the second storm story, as Jesus climbs into the boat, do you remember what he says? He climbs into the boat and the water's calm. Jesus says, do not be afraid. Take courage. I am here. And what he means is not just I am here, but what he means is the great I am. Am the same I am that spoke to Moses from that bush. That I am is here. And if that I am is here, why are you afraid? So uh, I want to end today's teaching um, with uh, with a guy part of the sermon. All right. So sometimes we uh, we talk about a. Church is too feminine and all that kind of stuff. And I was going to save this for Father's Day, but it's just too awesome. So I want to talk about a rugby player. All right, Storm Stories, Rembrandt paintings, and rugby players. You got this? Comprehending all this? All right, so this is a picture of uh, uh, was was one of the world's best rugby players. His name is Sebastian Chabal. Uh, he is, uh, uh, in his prime, was 6'2", 6'3", 250 pounds, uh, one of France's most popular and powerful rugby players. And uh, he has a great nickname. Can any of you guess? His nickname is the Caveman, and I love that. Uh, uh, Sebastian is not the kind of guy you would want to meet in a dark alley. And, and I want to show you, just, a, uh, just, just to give you a picture of kind of the tenacity and ferocity with which Sebastian lived his life and played this game. I just want to show you this, this quick clip. Go ahead and roll this clip. I want you to get a picture of this guy as well. <laughs> 
taste of things to come on these babies. So what do you think? There's the caveman. Does that fit? Is that pretty good? Yeah, yeah they're just like Jesus right there. Um, uh, not exactly. Man, I see that and my blood just starts pumping. I just, I don't know, I want to tackle somebody. Where's a teenager? Uh, I see that and I just see the way he plays like ferocious and fearless and you know, that, that great uh, uh, analogy that football coaches use, you can either be the hammer or you can be the nail. He's the hammer, right? I mean, there's no question about it. I mean, even when two or three guys are coming, he's just knocking them down, pushing them out of the way. Well, Sebastian, which seems like a, I would never, kind of a wimpy name, but like, not, I'm not going to say that to him. Sebastian Chabal. 6'2", 250 pounds, one of the best rugby players in the world, has two daughters. Can you imagine the boys that got to come to his door and ask his daughters out? Can you imagine his daughters being afraid of anything? Well, maybe other than their dad. You think they have anything to fear? Maybe they're afraid to walk down a dark alley, but if their dad's there, you think they'd feel okay? Knowing who their father is, it'd be foolish, ridiculous for them to be afraid, right? And Jesus says to us, why are you afraid? Don't you know who I am? The one who is more powerful than the caveman. The one who is more powerful even than the wind and the waves is with you. Jesus says, do not be afraid. Take courage. The great I am is here. But something happens. In Scripture, in, uh, at the end of the story, in chapter 6, verse 52, Jesus climbed to the boat, tells them, don't be afraid. It says that the disciples, they, they still didn't understand their hearts were too hard 
to take it in. How about you? What does your heart tell you when you're confronted with all that God is? It, how would you answer the question, who is this man? So in just a few moments, we're going to enter into a time of communion. We have three tables set up. I invite you to go to those tables. There, on them, you will find the, the bread and the cup, which represent the body and blood of Jesus Christ. A body and, uh, and blood that was broken and poured out for us, given, sacrificed for us. And in just a few minutes, we get to share in, in that sacrifice. It, it is a time of repentance. It is a time of, of confession. It is, it is time for us to, to seek forgiveness, but also a time to remember exactly who is this man. Are there any storms that you're facing right now that he can't, with just a word, bring great calm into? You know, as Christians, I think we are supposed to live uh, like Sebastian's kids live, right? Fearless. Because we know we have a father who loves us and cares for us and will do anything for us. A Father who is powerful and good beyond measure. But sometimes Christians seem like the most skittish. Do you ever see this happen? Christians are sometimes, I, I see, the, the most worried, not the least. And into their life, into their heart, I just want to ask that question, who is this man? Is he just a good teacher, or, or does he really have the power and the authority to calm the storms in your life? To, to bring not just any calm, but to bring great calm. So as we take communion today, I challenge you maybe to spend a few minutes thinking about it. Share, share with each other. Maybe there's a storm that you're facing right now. Share your storm stories. Well, you know when I got laid off. You know when we had that health scare. You know when we had that accident. You know when. Share your storm stories with those around you and allow those around you to speak the very words of Jesus into your life, into your story. Remember what Jesus said. Don't be afraid. Take courage. Take heart. I am here. Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you so much for, for your word, for your, your son, Jesus Christ. Let us, let us see him for who he is. Father God, there's been times the, the storm has come and I've gotten distracted and worried and full of fear and fright and uh, times I've just forgotten. God, I just, I just forgot who you, who you are and what your promises are. But Father God, let let the truth of who you are and the reality of your promises come home to each and every one of us today. Father God, let those who are experiencing storms at this moment, for, for the future storms that we know are going to come, Father God, let us all be reminded that, that no matter where we're at, that, that you do care. You haven't, you haven't abandoned us. And no matter where you're at, you haven't lost sight of us. 
but that you love us. And more than that, Father God, you are the one who is powerful enough to answer any care, any concern that we might have. And so, Father God, where there's worry and where there's fear and where there's doubt and where there's anxiety in our life, let us look again to you and to your face. Father God, even as we take this, this communion, which represents the sacrifice of your son, let us not be afraid, but let us take heart. We love you, Father, and in your son, Jesus' name, everyone together says,